0: Well, we're in the second week of our series through the book of James, and uh, today uh, we're going to take a look at verses 12 through 18, and I don't have a lot of time, I've already given you a couple of announcements as a way of preface, so let's just get straight into the scripture today, starting in verse 12. Y'all with me, say, I am. It says this in James 1, verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. This is known as James's beatitude, notice the language similar to Jesus's Last week, of course, Pastor Brandon went over verses 1 through 12. This week, I included verse 12 for a very specific reason. Because verse 12 and verse 13 are tied together. Temptation and testing are things that go hand in hand in the Christian life. The same Greek word that's used, the same root Greek word that's used in verse 12 translated test, is also translated in verse 13, tempt. So we know that one of the things this passage is pointing out, and in James chapter 1 is pointing out, is testing and temptation are things that you are going to experience together or on the heels of each other. The idea is that trials around us and testing we go through can prompt. All manner of temptations that rise up in our flesh within us. In verse 13, we see four specific things that we can learn about what temptation is. And these are very important because I think temptation and sin sometimes get confused. Where temptation comes from, what happens with temptation, is temptation sin? Well, this verse gives us four qualities of temptation. Number one, temptation for the Christian, for the believer, and I would add even for the non believer, is always present in our life. Always. Every Christian is going to deal with testing and temptation, is what James chapter 1 is telling us. Notice the language. James says, when you're tempted, not if you're tempted or it may come in your life, when you're tempted. The context suggests every single one of us is going to struggle with temptation. As one theologian puts it, for the Christian, temptation is our constant companion. Now, if you're sitting in here right now and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't struggle with temptation. Well, you struggle with pride and honestly, you struggle with lying as well because every one of us struggles with temptation. There is no get out of temptation free car. There is no spiritual vaccine. There's no alternate route to avoid the traps of temptation. No Christian is immune or innocent. One theologian writes this about temptation. The aging monk in the monastery is no more safe from temptation than the young person at the mall. The saint in prayer wrestles with temptation just as much as the salesman in his Porsche. So temptation is always present. Number two, temptation is not from God. James chapter one makes very clear that God tests us, but he does not tempt us. God is not even indirectly involved in the temptations that we all struggle with. God uses trials. God uses troubles in our life to bring about his work of maturing us But God is never the author of temptation in our life or evil in our life. And that leads to our third point. Where does temptation come from, then? If God doesn't send it, then, then, then where does it come from? Thirdly, temptation is from within us. Within us. Every person that struggles with temptation, it comes from your flesh. And as the scriptures say, your internal desires. In other words, you are responsible for your temptation and the sin that takes place in your life, and it is only you. It is not because of anything else. Every one of us struggles with thoughts like, well, I wouldn't have lied, but if I told them the truth, they would have gotten so angry, so really I'm protecting them. Justifying lying? No, 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 no. No, no, you cannot justify. Well, I wouldn't have cheated on the test, but in order to pass this class, I had to cheat in order. No, 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 you are responsible for that. Don't look to justify. Don't look for an out. I wouldn't have committed adultery on my spouse if they were better to me. No, 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 don't blame it on your spouse. You are responsible for that. I wouldn't have stolen from my company, but they don't pay me enough and they didn't give me a raise this year. So I deserve this. That's that temptation speaking to you. And guess where it comes from? It comes from within you and you alone. One commentator wrote this. The uncomfortable truth is this. The evil desire tugging away at us is our own. We can't blame any of the things around us It is not the fault of our parents, our peers, our circumstances, or our God. Fourthly, what this verse in verse 13 tells us is temptation is dangerous. Dangerous. You better be aware. You better be aware it is dangerous. When it says that we're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed, that's hunting language. Typically, this phrase would be used when someone was talking about fishing, but the broader spectrum, it has to do with hunting, and and really, specifically, it means to bait a prey. The word picture and the idea is, think about a predator that is able to make themselves attractive to their prey, and so the victims deliver themselves up to the predator for the taking. This is the idea with temptation. We are baited, whether by the enemy or by our flesh. Sin baits us, and then we are tempted. Our lustful desire is what causes us to grab a hold of this bait. Even if we're a Christian and we know we shouldn't grab the bait, we still grab the bait, and I cannot reiterate this enough, we alone are culpable for this. Diedrich Bonhoeffer Uh, The preacher that was put to death by the Nazis for speaking out against the Nazi regime and Hitler says this about temptation. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seized mastery over the flesh. All at once, a sacred smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire, ambition, vanity, the desire for revenge, the love of fame and power or greed for money, or the strange desire for the beauty of the world. The thing about the bait, y'all, of sin is when it comes to temptation and the sin in our lives, we can't even blame the bait. We can't even look at the bait and say, it's because of that. That's why I've sinned. Uh, let me bring this down to an applicational level. Men in here, you should never say, well, if she didn't dress that way, then I wouldn't lust after her. No, the problem is not in the way that young lady dresses. The problem is within you and your evil desires. And as one translation puts it, your evil lusts and the things inside of you that you're struggling with. Well 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 if, if they didn't make me so mad then I wouldn't have acted out in anger and said the things I've said. No 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 don't blame it on them. You alone are responsible for losing your t- They know not to push me to where I get mad like that. You remember when you were a kid and you found money on the ground and you would say something like Finders Keepers How does that go? Finders keepers, losers, weepers. There's justification right there falling into temptation and sin i'm not going to try to find the person who this ten dollars belongs to because finders keepers it's mine now temptation can't even blame the babe listen to verse 15 y'all still with me say i am because verse 15 gives us an idea of what temptation leads to and you know it leads to sin but furthermore It leads to death. It says in verse 15, Then after desire, so our lustful desires inside of us, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James compares the process of having these desires, this sinful nature that leads to temptation and then leads to sin, to a process that we're all familiar with when he compares it to having a baby. We all know that there are two ingredients necessary for conception of life in a baby, and that is a sperm and egg. And what this passage is telling us is there's two ingredients that are necessary in order to give birth to sin. Temptation and our internal desires. Our sinful nature come together and then gives birth to sin. But think about this. James is here explaining the process of giving birth to sin in our lives to natural birth. Think about that. Think about the fact that, yes, conception happens with sperm and an egg, but in order to give birth, what needs to take place for the next nine months? You nurture the baby inside the womb. Women do things like stop drinking, don't work out too hard, take care of themselves more in order to make sure that the baby inside of them is nurtured, and then they give birth to it. And when the baby is given birth to, then what we do is we nurture this helpless baby along that that we really control and we are ultimately responsible for, and we nurture them until they get to a place where they're an adult, right? And in many cases, when they're an adult, they become stronger than even we are, and we can't control them anymore. I y'all know you can't control your kids once they become an adult. Amen? Biggest headache in the world for some people in here. I've got a son named Titus, and uh, Titus is 11 years old, and in sixth grade. And uh, I think there's going to be some football teams that are going to be recruiting, because at 11 years old, he's already about 5'10". And he uh, Uh, He's pretty stout, too. He's a a big kid. And right now, at 11 years old, I can still whoop Titus. (laughs) I'm stronger than him. We go to the gym together. I bench more. I squat more. I can arm wrestle him, and I can still beat him at arm wrestling. If we ever wrestle and get into it, I can make him tap out. But I'm very aware I'm very aware that probably by the time he's a freshman or sophomore in high school, he's probably going to be stronger than me. He might be benching more than me. He'll be squatting more than me. I won't be able to beat him at arm wrestling. I'm going to be making up all kinds of excuses on why we can't wrestle. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'll always have the middle edge on you, boy. Just remember. I've taught you everything you know, but you don't know everything I know. Amen, parents? You know what I'm saying? That's the only way I'm going to beat him is that I have the middle edge. Because at some point, Titus is going to get to a place where I can't control him physically. He's going to become stronger than I am. This is the ultimate point that James is unpacking when it comes to temptation that leads to sin. When it's conceived, you feel like you have control of it. When you've given birth to it, it's like a little baby. But eventually, at some point, if you continue to nurture it, you continue to play with it, you continue to justify it, Eventually, at some point, it gets stronger than you are, and it controls you. And you can't control it. We call these addictions. We call these vices. We call these things in our life that grab a hold of us that we can no longer control because we've allowed it to grow up and cause all kinds of pain in our life. J.C. Ryle said, "This habits like trees are strengthened by age. A boy may bend an oak when it is a sapling, but a hundred men cannot root it up when it is a full-grown tree." James says that when this happens with sin and you nurture it and allow it to get to a place that is stronger than you, it leads to death. And when we think of death, we think of it as a destination. But in the Hebrew culture and through Scripture, many times, death is not just a destination. It is more of a trajectory or a lifestyle. And so what James is telling us is if you keep playing with sin, it's going to control you at some point. And if you live by the world's ways, if you live in sin, you're going to be living a life that feels like death. Conversely, if you live according to God's word and you try to do the best you can to do things God's way, you will live a life of fulfillment, and you will live a life that is truly life. Now, this begs the question, this verse, how do we break free from sins that control us? How are we set free from those things that no one knows about us? They don't know about this addiction. We, nobody knows that we did this thing one time that haunts us every single day in our mind. How do we do it? I'm so glad you asked. Because the book of James answers that question for us when it says we confess our sins to each other and that's how we find freedom. Confess our sins to each other and that's how we find freedom. Confess your sins to God and that's how you find salvation. But if you want freedom from those sins that control you, that haunt you, that you think about every day when you wake up and you've never told anybody, the way you find freedom of it, is you confess and then you repent. See, let me tell you what I've witnessed in my life and in the life of so many that I've ministered to. Most people have the order backwards. They don't confess and repent. Instead, what they do is they repent and then one day they think they'll confess. Maybe they even confess to God, but don't confess to the person that they've hurt, And they want to repent before they confess to the person they've hurt. Repentance literally means turning away from sin. Repentance, the definition, the actual definition is, you stop doing what you want to do, and you start doing what God wants you to do. It's been described before as having an about face from sin, turning away a 180 from sin. And it's a beautiful thing when you repent and you stop, try your hardest to stop doing those things uh, that, that you know you shouldn't be doing and turn to God. But it has to be preceded by confession for you to truly find freedom from it. You have to confess to truly find freedom from it. When we do VBSs for kids in the kids' ministry, we teach them what? A, B, C. That's the way we teach kids on how to get saved. A, admit, believe, confess. The first step in the process of getting saved is confession. Admit you are a sinner. Believe Jesus is the Son of God. Confession. Somebody in here needs to know. Somebody at Red Church this weekend. You've had a sin in your life that you've never been able to break free free from. And the last time you did it, you felt so guilty. You said to yourself something like, I'm never going to do that again, God. I promise I'm never going to take that drug. I'm never going to look at that pornography. I'm never going to talk to that person that I had an adulterous affair with. I'm never going to do that again. So you want to repent, but you're scared to death to confess. You're horrified. At telling your parents what you did. You are absolutely horrified at what would happen if you told your husband that you had an adulterous affair, an emotional affair. You're scared to death. I believe there's people in here that maybe God has even forgiven you of something, but you're still haunted by it. he still reminds you every day because you haven't confessed to the person you hurt with it. Confess and then repent equals freedom. Rev church equals freedom. This is why we tell you, get in the growth track and find a group to be involved with at church. Some of y'all are just coming to church and we think that's great, but if you want freedom, you find some people in your life. And you can share who the real you is. Confess and repent. Y'all still with me. Say I am. I am. Verse 16 is the hinge for this entire passage when it says this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. How many of y'all got an email account? Raise your hand. Anybody got an email account in here? Okay, in your email account, you've got what's known as a spam folder. How many of y'all have ever gotten a phone call on your iPhone and the call says potential spam call? Anybody ever gotten one of those on your iPhone? Well, the reason you have a spam folder, the reason you have... Uh, your iPhone is designed in a way to recognize certain spam callers, is to protect you from being deceived. You know, don't don't open these emails because there's somebody fake that's trying to deceive you into doing something you shouldn't do. Don't answer this call because it's somebody in India acting like they're from Texas from the Internal Revenue Service wanting you to give them a thousand bucks. Don't answer those because they're all about deception. Well, James says here, don't. Be deceived. What he's saying to the Christians that he's writing to is stop deceiving yourself. Stop justifying sin. Stop playing the victim and blaming someone else. Stop acting like it's not your fault and take ownership and confess. Stop thinking that this little pet sin that you're nurturing right now is just a baby, but you keep playing with it and justifying it. Stop deceiving yourselves into thinking that that won't destroy you one day. The same word that's used here for deceive is used two other times in James chapter one. Listen to verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. James says some of y'all got this habit Of opening the spam emails and having someone say, I'm the deposed prince from Nigeria and I need your help. And if you give me $500, it'll return back to you tenfold or something. And you're falling for deception. Stop answering the spam calls, stop deceiving yourselves. Rev Church, listen. This is what I'm struggling with. I still do to this day, and I know you do too. Stop thinking things like, it won't happen to me. I would never do that. Book of Proverbs says there's three kinds of people. There's foolish people, there's evil people, and there's wise people. If you're a Christian here, you're not an evil person. You're either foolish or you're wise. If you've ever thought to yourself, I'll never do that, you are a fool. You're a spiritual idiot. I've been a spiritual idiot before. Anybody else in here? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, not all the hands are going up. I mean, of y'all are sitting next to somebody that's ever been a spiritual idiot before? Raise your hand. Raise your... Okay, now, now the hands go up and the people that didn't raise their hands. Stop believing lies. Stop deceiving yourselves. If I confess my sin, my spouse will leave me. But if I... If I confess my sin, my business will fall apart. If people knew the real me, somebody already knows the real me. And his name is Jesus. Right. And he loves you. Amen. And he's forgiven you. And I promise you, if you confess and repent, you will find freedom on another level like you've never found in your life before. Yes. Amen. Don't deceive yourselves. Verse 17, we continue. You still with me? Say, I am. And here's where we take a good turn here. Here's where, like this has been a hard sermon up till now, right? It's easy preaching, hard living, right? It's like, hey, own your sin and quit being a victim and stop nurturing sin. That's hard stuff. Like it's hard stuff to hear because it's very convicting, right? But in verse 17, James changes the narrative to remind us of something. He says this in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So ultimately, this verse is talking about the gift of salvation that we've received from Christ. We're the first fruits. Jesus died on the cross for us. What a gift of salvation. But I want you to notice the context, the word every. James doesn't leave any wiggle room in chapter one. When he's talking about testing, when he's talking about temptation, when he's talking about good and perfect gifts, every one of them come from God. Every good thing that's ever happened in your life, it's not by happenstance. It's not because you're so smart and you're so slick. Every good gift comes from God. Not some, every good gift. And ultimately, yes, this is speaking to the salvation of, those of us that have accepted Christ have. But it's not just that. It's every good gift. Notice, James chapter 1, it's like the bad things are because of us, but all the good things are because of Jesus. Don't blame him. All he does is give you good gifts, even when he's testing you, even when life is falling apart. I promise you one day God's going to use it and it will be a good gift from him. This got me to thinking about the gifts all around me in my life. Especially over this last week, last couple of months, even, even in my lifetime. Some of the gifts that God has given me. And one of them that I've been kind of keeping an eye on, I haven't experienced it in, in, uh, in person. But it just looks like an incredible move of God is the Asbury Revival. Uh, Has anybody seen what's going on at Asbury College, the Asbury Revival? I encourage you to go look, because uh, they're having a revival right now, and it's a bunch of college kids. Um, Three weeks of 24-7 services that are going on. This is a picture. Old school chapel, nothing fancy. You can go watch the sermon before the revival broke out. It wasn't a bunch of emotionalism. Uh, I mean, it was a good sermon, but it wasn't full of like a whole bunch of a fluff or anything, you know. God just got a hold of these college kids, and uh, they're worshiping Jesus, and it's breaking out in other Christian campuses, uh, even secular campuses. A couple weeks ago, down at TTU, there was four or five hundred college students that were worshiping God on the lawn down there, I believe. And uh, something about this generation—you know—you read about revivals in the Scripture, and every revival that takes place that I've ever read is always started by young people. And we've got a generation of young people now, you should be encouraged by this. Old folks in here that always talk about how the world's going to hell, and, oh, it's all over, and we're going to buy food insurance because Jesus is coming back tomorrow and stuff. You need to hear this, okay? This generation hasn't been churched that much. Even the churched ones aren't really churched because the average family only comes about one to two times a month. So they're not super churched, which means they don't have all these traditions and all this junk in their head that they fuss and fight about. Which means that they're a blank slate for God to use. And I believe that this generation could bring about the biggest revival in the history of our nation. I really do. Uh, I think about stuff. You know, I was talking to Pastor Brandon about this, and he really gave me a different perspective because I'm the get off my lawn guy now. You know, I'm like, ooh, groovy old man. And uh, I was talking to him one day about, dude, I just can't believe what, oh man, all this crazy stuff going on. And God, yeah, and Brandon said, man, I really think that there's a chance that this generation could change things. You guys know how uh, we look back at slavery now and we think it was insane. Like in our nation, we talk about slavery and we're like, what were we thinking? We've lost them. We had slaves. We thought it was okay to keep people as slaves. What was wrong with us? Well, Pastor Brandon said he thinks there's a good chance 50 to 100 years from now this generation could rise up and we could be looking back 50 to 100 years from now going, what were we thinking? We thought boys could be girls. We were killing babies. What in the world were we thinking? We, we lost our minds 100 years ago and God could bring that about. Now this is a gift from God, Asbury. right? But I want you to keep something in mind. Children don't get to choose the gifts that their dad gives them. If they do, we call them spoiled brats. Right? I didn't want this. I want something else. If you ever see that on America's Funniest Home Videos, you're like, man, that kid needs a whooping. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, what a spoiled brat. (laughs) So every move of God and gift from God does not look the exact same. The worst thing people do is they try to recreate what's going on in Asbury and totally prostitute it, and they create false fire. So we don't get to choose the gift, but I want you to understand. God has given our church several gifts. And this year, he gave us a big one. He gave us a big one. I remember back when we started Red Church. We started in a movie theater. How many of y'all were there at the movie theater? Yeah. You remember? It was awesome, right? Came to the movie theater. Now we're at the mall. And over the last three years, we've been trying to get a facility. and We've landed on a place where we're like, we're going to have to build a building. We were set in that direction. I was like, All right, God, I'm settling in. This is going to be a 20 year process of the church being in debt and having to raise money. I never became a preacher to be a fundraiser. I just wanted people to meet Jesus. You no. know what I mean? And so, so I was accepting that challenge. Like, we're going to do that. That's fine, Lord. Whatever it takes to reach Crossville, We're going to do whatever it takes. We're lowering people down from the roof. Okay? And that's what we're going to do. That's what it takes in order. So if we got to build a building, that's what we're going to do. You know, I, I remember when I was in about the 5th or 6th grade. Dad, you'll remember this. My dad's here today. Um, I'm really glad he could be here, but when I was in 5th or 6th grade, um, let me explain this. Every year, my parents bought me one pair of shoes for the entire year. and It was usually at the beginning of the school year. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, So we would go shopping and like get me a few things for clothes, a couple of pairs of jeans and some shirts and stuff like that, and then every year at the beginning of the school year, I got a pair of shoes. You know, and those shoes were used over the next year for for school, for basketball, for baseball, for playing outside. I mean, that was the shoes. I mean, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Kids today have a billion pairs of shoes, and and we only got one back then. And I can remember at the beginning of the school year, my parents would buy me a pair of shoes, and and we weren't like super poor, but so we didn't get like cheap shoes, you know. But we also. We didn't spend a whole lot of money on them. My parents were like, we ain't spending no $100 on no pair of Air Jordans. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, we, we are not spending, we'll get you a good pair of shoes. They're a good pair of shoes, but we are not buying some ridiculously expensive pair of shoes. And they did that at the beginning of the school year, and I was so appreciative of it and had this you know pair of shoes that I was really appreciative of. But my birthday fell halfway through the school year on December 7th. That was August, and somewhere around December 7th, I was born on Pearl Harbor Day, a box showed up to my house. And back then, we didn't have Amazon and stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember those days? You actually had to go to a store and look at something. I don't even know how people buy clothes online now. You don't even try them on. It's so weird. But anyway, I'm, again, grumpy old man, okay? So y'all hang with me. But, but, uh, but I remember we got this box that came to our house, and it was addressed to me, and I was like, you remember this, Dad? It was to me, and I was like, what in the world? It was around my birthday. I don't know if it was all my birthday, but it was around my birthday. And I opened it up, and my dad, who had a part-time job at a department store at Hamilton Place Mall in Chattanooga uh, called Parisians, I don't know if you remember that, had bought me a brand new pair of the hottest shoes that were on the market that day. Reebok pumps. I'm wearing a pair today because I bought some. (laughs) Because I'm nostalgic. I had to have a pair of Reebok pumps from my childhood. You remember Dad Reebok pumps? I got this pair of Reebok pumps, and I went to this inner city school in Knoxville, where you know a lot of kids didn't have a whole lot of money like me, and so I was like one of the only kids. Man, I was strutting my stuff. Man, I got a pair of Reebok pumps. But I was thinking about that. Here's what I thought: I thought what my parents got me was that pair of shoes at the first year, and I was going to be wearing them the whole year. But my dad got me a gift, and said no. You thought you were going to be using these all year, but I'm getting you something even better that you're not even expecting that you're going to love. Two Fridays ago, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, I get a call from Matt Daughtry who goes to our church. God is using him in incredible ways right now. Uh, he tells me, hey, there's a piece of property or a building that's for sale in Crossville. Keep in mind, three years trying to raise money. We get our quote back for phase one, 16,000 square feet. It's going to cost this much, basically double. We're in this perfect weird storm of where things are twice as much as they were and the interest rates are through the roof. And we're like, what are we going to do? He tells me this building's for sale. And I say, okay, cool. Let's meet with the owners. Three days later on Monday, we met with the owners. And uh, pretty much by the time that day was done, uh, we had a sealed deal uh, to get a facility in town, and it's really one of only two places where a church our size could actually do church. So, for those of you that remember where we started at the movie theater, now we're under contract to purchase Rocky Top 10 Theater as a church. And <laughs> so, if, if you've given to the church, and you're upset that we're not going into a multi-year process of building a facility come talk to us and we'll explain to you why but the gist of it is we're looking at you know with the facility ninety four dollars a square foot we were going to be looking at 300 bucks a square foot if we build. it's ready the window is closing fast here at the mall um, they're renting out half of it already as storage and the mall's been great to us we got nothing but good things to say but we do think the window is going to close very fast and to be honest with you I was kind of freaking. I had a piece, but I was kind of like, "What are we going to do if we get kicked out of the mall, or we can't worship at the mall anymore?" Because we got seven hundred people a weekend, y'all, coming to our services, and more when we start four services. And so, uh, forty-two thousand square feet. When we got the finished product, it was going to be thirty thousand square feet by the time we were done. Uh, we can afford it. Uh, we've got a lot of questions yet to answer. You're probably thinking a million questions, like, "What, what about this the theater going to stay open?" Is What's it gonna look like? We look forward to working with the management team and the owners on a transition of us going uh, and starting there. Uh, As soon as we get the answers to a lot of the questions that are gonna pop in your head, we'll have a facility team meeting and uh, we will unpack everything that we know, everything we think we're gonna do. We'll probably answer any questions that you guys have. Um, So so just uh, know this. If you've been riding the fence at Rev Church, and wondering, should I get on board? Should I give to the legacy campaign? Um, this ought to get you off the fence. And if it doesn't, I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, Jesus himself is going to have to show up one Sunday or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> because this is purely the favor of God, y'all. It's purely the favor of God. 100%. God did in three days. Friday, bye. Monday, it was closed. God did in three days what we've been trying to do for three years, and boy, has He not done that before? That's that's the gist. Yeah. That's the gist of this scripture. Is God Jesus did in three days what none of us could accomplish in a lifetime by paying for our sin? Um. Just as also we clap for this too, uh, we do get to screw in a few more light bulbs. We're still going to do this. We're still raising money. We need y'all to pray about being just crazy generous. We've had faith. God's opened up a door. It is purely the favor of God. I can't even tell. I'll tell you the whole story when we have our meeting. Uh, I'll tell you everything because it's just, it's ridiculous, y'all. It's ridiculous. But uh, I'm praying. That as I told you guys before in the book of Haggai, when they were rebuilding the temple, the spirit of the people as a whole finally came together, and that's when they rebuilt the temple. I think this is going to be the thing. Again, it gets people off the fence, and the spirit of the people as a whole is going to come together. And I'm praying—I'll be honest with you—I'm praying that God gives the spiritual gift of generosity to every single Christian at Revolution Church, and uh, and we make the—I'm praying crazy prayers like we pay cash for this thing, we raise the money we need in the next couple of months pay cash for it, or at least to a place where it's just, uh, we can afford it so much, it's not even a question, you know, and so, uh, so be encouraged, because uh, God's done some crazy stuff this week. Amen, Red Church? Amen. I faked yeah, you out, know, You thought the big announcement was four services, and you are like, that's it? <laughs> and uh, it's God just blessing us, and uh, so get ready, Red Church, because we're going to reach people Like we never have. Our best days really are ahead of us. My prayer is that, listen, we never started a church to get church buildings and and get rich or nothing like that. You know what I mean? But my prayer is that this is a testimony for you guys that are in here right now. This is a testimony that rings out amongst God's people. God's a way maker. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the same God that split the Red Sea. He's the same God that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. If you're being tested right now, if you're going through temptation, it's the same God that can deliver you and sustain you through whatever it is you're going through. He's working in our church, and I pray that this is a testimony to the gospel working in Crossville, Tennessee. Let's pray, guys. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that. Thank you for every person that is under the sound of our voice, my voice. Jesus said. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We've been asking, Lord, according to your will, and you've decided to grant our request. And We are so appreciative as a church body that this is going to open up the door for us to reach people like never before. The future of Rep. Church sending out missionaries overseas and planting churches in Tennessee. It's going to be unbelievable what God does. Just when people across will hear about this, we're going to have more visitors probably than we've ever had. They're going to have to come see you. Like, what is going on? We thank you, God. But more than a a theater or a building, God, we thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given us. That's where the focus has always been as a church for 10 years. Even as we've been through this campaign, some have said we haven't pushed hard enough. Our church has grown because we, we just want it to be all about Jesus and all about the gospel. We believe it's... Lord's will is the Lord's bill, what the king wants, the king gets, And so we've kept it all about the gospel. So we thank you for salvation, God. We thank you that you did in three days what none of us could do for a lifetime. I pray, God, that if there's anyone in this place, anybody watching online, that has never experienced true salvation in Christ, that today would be a day where, where you would send your Holy Spirit to convict them like never before and they would respond to the gospel and the good news of Jesus God and they would experience this gift that you have given us the greatest gift we could ever imagine I pray God that as a church we would worship you in spirit and in truth in everything that we do and give you all the glory if you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.